0: Welcome to the Directing Animation Livecast with Scott Weiser, currently near a crossroads. Will I continue directing at Space Station Animation, which I'm absolutely loving? Will one of my 10 feature film pitches get the green light, which has already happened many times? Or will both of these dreams collide? Wherever the road may lead, I remain committed to mastering the art of telling deeply meaningful stories. Today, my guest is... My good friend, Adam Sidwell, and he seems to be caught up in virtual reality, so I'll just give an intro about him. But uh, he has worked on such films as Tron (laughs) and King Kong and Speed Racer. And uh, the list goes on and on and on. But he's also started a publishing company just like me, he wanted to self-publish, but his turned into a whole publishing company, which is awesome. And he also has founded the company Future House Studios, which has more than 10 times growth in the past year, has been incredibly inspiring. And welcome to the show. Is there anything you'd like to add, Adam?
1: Oh, uh, thank you. Well, thanks for having me on the show, Scott. Yeah, Yeah. really appreciate it. Good to be here. Yeah, you know, I mean, I started my uh, career in visual effects and animation at Digital Domain and was working on the movie iRobot and then and then went on to Weta and Industrial Light and Magic and you know ran the ran the gamut of the studios making um all the cool IPs that are out there that you know chasing everyone that I could get, trying to trying to always get on the next coolest movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, that's that's what we've always been trying to do the entire career. So you were specifically a character TD, right?
1: That's correct. So I started out my career. As a, as a pipeline TD, actually, I was writing tools. Back then it was in in Mel and Tickle and, you know, weird languages that we don't even use anymore. <laughs> um, and now, you know, now all those things are in Python, but that really segues well into being a character TD because, you know, we write a lot of scripts and code to get those characters built and working. And, and it's really fun because the way that code works and is when you become a coder, it like reformats your brain to think in a certain way and to think very logically and to have parts fit together and that's really informed my storytelling in a lot of ways you know yeah. it's funny because actually just this last week I was writing an adventure game a text-based adventure game yeah. in Python and it was just so fun just just for the fun of it right because but it helps you think about like how to structure your stories and where they're going and you know it, it informs that
0: yeah that's cool and you I thought you were specifically doing rigging but you were doing more coding like coding end well, or well
1: so yes yeah, so actually rigging uh was a huge part of it so um a lot of riggers uh, on future films are coders as well because yeah. you you know component parts to put together your rig and it's just such a part of the pipeline you know my job was to uh so first year uh was almost completely pipeline td stuff and then there was a little bit of rigging thrown in it was just kind of like they're like you're technical you're junior you yeah. don't know what you do just go do it right and just and go get to work just go well well we're gonna to tell you what to do, right? We need this, this, and this, and you're going to work on stuff, and you're, we're going to kind of morph you to what we need. The second year, I left Digital Domain to go to Weta. It was completely all character TD stuff, you know, I was building characters, creatures, yeah. uh, digital doubles, vehicles. I built all you know 36 cars in the New York scene in King Kong. There was a lot of them there, and you know, it was all that was all code based because I was writing scripts to use like repeat components so that I wouldn't have to rebuild every car with yeah. this you know, wheels and suspension, chassis, you know, all sorts of those things. So Yeah.
0: And I noticed lots of great riggers do that. And actually our next guest is a specifically a, a model of rigger who started Studio Zubio. His name is Stephen Kendall. And we'll get more into that kind of in detail. What, what I'm more interested in today is like your companies, uh, especially Future House Studios. A lot of my listeners are wanting to start studios and they're wanting to know kind of the ins and outs and how, how you went about that. So let's talk about that. Just your journey.
1: Let's do it. On that. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, you know, I, I think part of it comes back or goes back uh, a ways to, you know, just being an entrepreneur. And I think being an entrepreneur is also, you know, very creative. It, yeah. It is creative. <laughs> it's super creative. Like, you know, that, right? Like, yeah. You yeah. Just make something out of nothing. Right. And so I wanted to make something and I had nothing. And, and it was my creative forces that drove me. And then somebody later on said, "Oh, you're an entrepreneur," and I go, "Oh, I guess I, guess I am." Yeah. So I'm a creative first, right? And and what happened is I, you know, I, I started off. My first company was um, Future House Publishing, mm-hmm. which is a science fiction, fantasy, and middle grade uh, publishing company. We write, we do adventure stories. We do page turners. We, you know, we worked with a lot of uh, really great authors. I started by writing the books myself. You know, I started with. Uh, one of my titles, and that came out, and I figured out, you know, how to market it, how to then scale up a team to actually get people to want to work for you, which is, you know, means you have to pay them, right? And yeah, you, have yeah, to you have do. Money to pay them, and you know, you have to, you have to figure out how to put all these parts together. You have to register your LLC, you know, and you have to do taxes and things like that. And so, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, that's it, the funnest it, part is the taxes. The funnest <laughs> part, right? Like, there's a whole structure to having companies, yeah, and. And then being able to launch them in this creative way that they scale and multiply and make what you're making, you know, bigger and better than it would be if you were just doing it on your own. That was that was really informative to me. And about May, May 2020, right Mm -hmm. in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Someone approached me, a producer I'd worked with before. I was working at a place called Deep Root Studios, and you yeah. know, things were kind of on hiatus. There was a furlough; they were struggling with some funding things. And uh, you know, we had a lot of fun there, like worked with a lot of great people. The the client, you know, approached me and said, "Hey, I'd really like you to do this. Uh, we'd really like you to. You got guys, right? Like, come bring your guys. Let's go. Let's go make something, right? And let's go. I, I need people who are modelers, you know, animators, like riggers, all those things." can you help us with this? And I said, sure. And so I left my, my old job and, you know, I talked to my old boss and you know, we talked through it and I said, Hey, look, I'm going to do this, you know, yeah. deeper, struggling right now, but I'll keep doing the stuff I'm doing for deeper because I was directing uh, game cinematics there. Yeah. And yeah. Had, I remember, you know, built that's when I the, first met you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and so and so I was directing the game cinematics and um, having the time of my life, and it was really fun. But it was really a struggle because of you know funding things, and we had gotten this cool crew together and built up the three D department. But the um, because you know there were these struggles, and everybody was everybody was on on furlough for a while, and it happened before. And I said, you know what, this, it looks like it would just make more sense for me to go pursue these other things. So I did. And, and, and I talked to the owner of Deeproot and said, hey, you know what, I can, you can still contract with me to do these game cinematics. And he said, OK, that sounds great. So we did. And so I was working. So immediately out of the gate, I had two clients and the first client was Wave XR, uh, which is known for their virtual concerts. And so we were creating a lot of content in, uh, for unity, uh, content, you know, we're just doing blend shapes, modeling, then it became rigging, then it became motion capture cleanup, and then it became concept art and then it became storyboarding. And then it became like full on, you know, support, uh, unity tool writing and pipeline support. Yeah. Yeah. They've been a fantastic client. And with those two clients, we were off to the races.
0: Yeah. And then I got a call in January, 2021 from you and you said, Hey, you want to, Come do this little simple animated <laughs> intro <laughs> sequence for the film called Waterman. I was like, "Yeah, sure." And you're like, "This the style's super simple." And then I remember that just a little bit in, we like it was three times the detail within a couple three weeks.
1: <laughs> times the detail it was. You know that, and it's funny. So Scott, I love that you say that, right? Because I was looking at it. It, it debuted. Uh, it, it, you know, it's going all over these film festivals, and I watched it on the big screen this week. And I was like, this is so far from what the initial spec was. Yeah,
0: yeah. It was three weeks and then it became a three month project.
1: (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) It was just like, they just kept pushing like the creative and like do more, do more. And we're like, hey, you're running out of budget. And, you know, we actually, and that's one of the things that you have to think about as like a producer. Like we actually ended up paying for that for them. Like we were in the red, right? For to get that because they pushed so hard. And so you have to have like, you know, whenever you're doing animation creative endeavors you have to like have a certain relationship with your clients where you could say hey look you, you you've spent all your budget like we can't yeah. just keep working on this you know yeah. as much as we love you as much as we love this project like we have to make money or else you know we're gonna have to close our doors next month right yeah. that's it's not fair to to do that to us and so you know but it, it turned out great and you, you got to check out waterman you see the Jason Momoa is the narrator, yeah. um, you know, of Aquaman fame, which is perfect for Waterman, right? Aquaman yeah, yeah. Is Waterman, and yeah. so yeah. So Scott's animations were really killer on that. He like took it to the next level. But you remember the water, right? Like,
0: yeah, we did it. We did like ten passes on the water, and then after we were done, we did a new pass on the water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm glad we did like the final one. I wasn't sure if I liked the other passes once we started to get more and more detail and stuff, and. Once we did that new pass, it really brought it to a new level and it was worth, it was worth the
1: excellence. It looks great. It really yeah. looks great. It really does. That was a good project. And that's fun because we've had kind of a, a saying at Future Houses, we just, we don't say no. By that, I mean, we don't say no when someone comes to us and says, hey, do you know how to do this? Can you guys do that? And we go, we usually sit back for a moment and go, yeah, we could do that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then, or we say, give me five minutes. Let me get back to you. And then we go talk to the team and we say, okay, who have we got on this team? You know, look at our skill set. How can we put this together? And then we come back and we say, yeah, we can do it. So that's been something that's helped with our growth and helped us to, you know, tackle any challenge.
0: And you also put a business manager in place who does a lot of sales named Kenton, right? And yes. I noticed that he was constantly bringing in new work and having those multiple projects also made it a little easier for the Waterman project where you actually had to pay more out of Future House Studios pocket to get that to the quality you wanted it to be. But then it's it's now a showcase piece, right? You can show this is the kind of stuff we can do. So it's an interesting balance that you've, you've struck there. And then I, I remember we went right into another project and it was with a similar client. I remember that client was involved right, on right. that one yeah, and it was and much that's... bigger in scope. It was like it was a documentary that's that was really going to have good. tons of animated sequences
1: in it, right? Right, which will be really exciting once we can reveal that. Yeah, you know, whatever
0: it is, we'll, we'll it reveal is that it
1: someday. Thing, we can't say right now, but yes. Well, that was one of the things, right, is that it was the same client and it was like 10 times the size. Yeah, it was right?
0: huge. And I remember was Jacob, Jacob was like, how, how much do you think we can get done? And I was like, we need a team. We need to grow a team. So I remember going out and recruiting tons and tons of people and building a team, building a structure for just the 2D animation. So that because Jacob was so buried in so many other things in the project. Yeah, it was it was wonderful to kind of help him out with that, build a team, learn about that before I actually went and did some real directing.
1: Scott, like, oh, it was my pleasure. It was awesome that you were able to help out on that. Like that was such a big it was such a big help.
0: Yeah. The other fun thing about your company is you you do all these fun activities to get the company together and to have fun together. I think that's a super big morale booster. Oh, thank sure. you. Yeah,
1: I I love it. You know, it, it, it's tricky, right? Because we we are a virtual studio. Yeah. We we have offices um in Pleasant Grove, Utah. Uh we're like pretty close to where the old Void used to be if you know the if you know the Void mm-hmm. and the are. and then, you know, Epic Games is is you know just down the street, yep. you know up uh, around the bend, uh, and then there's Avalanche. You know, so this whole ecosystem of studios. What we find is that okay, we've got this office and it's small. You know, when you were working with us, it was like we had room for four desks, like yeah, it was yeah. just room, right? Yeah. Um, we've since moved. Uh, we just moved downstairs, which is really nice, and so we got a bigger space, and now we have we have enough that we have like six offices, and we can fit a bunch of people in there. But still, like most everyone is virtual. And yeah. so I'm with all this is the fact that when you have a virtual team, you know, we have, we have people in Canada, we have people in LA, San Francisco, New York, like Idaho, Tennessee. Uh, we've had people in Japan, Brazil, Hungary, and I think it just, Italy,
0: I think there was a, there was an Italian, I believe.
1: I'm sure. I yeah. Yeah. Was, I remember
0: talking to him. Was.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You probably worked with an Italian, right. On the, on the team. So, that's so what's really fun is you, you have this virtual studio and, but what it means is that like when your only relationship is on zoom, then you've got to try to get like ways for people to interact more or feel like some camaraderie. And Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And we, we were in a similar boat for quite a while that our office that we were in, we were sharing an office at space station with a couple other teams there at space station. And uh, we now have our own space. So we're now more like a hybrid, but for a while it really was that same situation. And we flew people in so that we could have those full team meetings where we were celebrating and really feeling each other's energy out. And that is a huge component. And I really like this hybrid studio idea where people can work remotely, but also there's a space that when they come in, they can work, they can engage with us. There's a desk for them, you know, and, uh, it's, it's really an exciting experience for sure.
1: It's so good. I mean, you, you've got to have that, like, you know, we'll, sometimes we'll be like, Hey everyone, there's ice cream cake in the office. Yeah. Get together, right. Like, come on over and, or we'll have, you know, we're, we're getting together with some of the team today. Later on in every day in the office, you know, there's, there's a small group of people that are just, that are nearby that energy is really helpful, but then we'll, we'll also do the events. Like you mentioned, like, you know, we had, uh, we had the Christmas party and everybody came out and people, people flew out from different States and we got together and it was just, it was really cool because, you know, sometimes you're working with somebody for six months before you meet them in real life. Yep. (laughs) <laughs> I always like to, I always like to do the taller, shorter game. Like, so who did you think was taller than you thought in yeah. real life? And, who were, you know, cause you I'm always shorter in
0: real life. <laughs> People <laughs> are like, you were so tall in my mind. I was like, thanks. <laughs> I guess, <laughs> you know, for sure. You're definitely taller in real life.
1: <laughs> yeah. The, the zoom zoom takes away 10 inches.
0: Yeah. And to me, it adds something. <laughs> <laughs> So that's really great. And what what do you foresee in the future of Future House Studios? Future House Studios. Is, you're obviously oh, looking toward the see, future.
1: We are. We're looking to the future. Well, so it's, you know, it's been really amazing. Like, you know, this last year um, we grew, we grew 10 times. Like you mentioned, it was just wild. Like we're watching this. We're going, wow, what's going on here? Like all these projects are coming in we're doing all these things. And so right now we're really focused in, we're a metaverse creation company. And that's that really your our-
0: focus. It, it, oh, we've got to is... shout out the Bieber concert you didn't you didn't even mention
1: that but you did the Bieber no, concert right I the big no. Justin
0: Bieber concert was a big deal
1: that's right well yeah. so that that was actually you know and that was our first client wave right is like yeah um they they came to us with the first the first concert we did was John Legend and Ooh, The Weeknd that's cool. that's cool but the, the Weeknd Weekend was cool right yeah. like I love that concert like going back like just watching it I'm like I love the style I love everything that the director did with that and the Wave did with that and, you know, that we got to jump in with that. And then just it just kept getting bigger and bigger, our roles in these concerts. And so Bieber concert was in November and that was huge. I mean, we had like 20 plus artists on there working on it with Wave and Wave's got all this cool interactive setup, this whole platform that they have. And, you know, we help supply anything from like lighting and effects to modeling to Mm -hmm. rigging to, I mean, all the way back to concepting and uh boarding like we you know we helped board out that whole concert and oh. it was really fun right yeah. and so uh, so with that you know we yeah we we've been working on those things and, and i i use the term metaverse creation company because it just really helps like as a catch-all to describe yeah. all these different things we do because we also have a big uh, location-based experience that we did for a client that's coming out um soon hopefully april or so mm-hmm. um you know and that's an unreal thing that we've been working heavily in unreal with And we had, you know, another 20 plus artists on that one, then we have, you know, things like Waterman or things like, uh, you know, the next movie that's coming out, like, and I, I, I guess I'm, I'm lumping those under metaverse, right? Like, it just, it's just kind of like this, it's a catch all phrase, right? But really, we are finding that um, most people are coming to us for Unreal and Unity and real time work, a lot mm-hmm. of game dev work. Yeah. Um, and so I see that that's been like laying a foundation uh, for us to build the team to streamline and everything else. But I keep telling the team right now is that we are evolving to the point where we're ready for our next big thing. Our next big thing is, you know, in development, right? And this is where it's like, okay, what's our thing that we are making your piece of original
0: content, right?
1: Our piece of original content. Right. Mm -hmm. And so there's a couple of things on the horizon, right? Like we have, we have from uh, Future House Publishing. We have a ton of IP. Uh, you know all the books that we've published and the things that we can turn into our content and our original content. We have. I've got the uh, the content that I've written, the books that I've written. That you know I've optioned for film, right? Like uh, Orson Scott Card would had purchased the film rights to my first uh, book series ever taster yeah, interesting I didn't know that yeah yeah he did and so um, and that that option he had it for a couple of years and that expired mm-hmm. uh, really great to work with but uh, ultimately like you know we didn't we didn't get a sale on that but I think a lot of that I've learned a lot now about like how to approach that and like how to develop and you know let's do some more concept art let's do some more sizzle let's figure out how to you know position us in the in the market mm-hmm. so there's some other things that we're working on too that is our own original IP. With that, then I will say there's original IP that's targeted for um, TV and film, but there's also the original IP that's like, okay, well, what what is our thing that we're making that's going to live in the metaverse or in games? To me, you know, right now there's something very, very interesting happening for us is uh, Future House just won an award from Niantic, the makers of Pokemon Go. Okay. And yeah, yeah, this is is, weird excited about this i love niantic i i played pokemon go
0: yeah it's a super successful game <laughs>
1: super successful yeah so did you know that for a while pokemon go was making like two million dollars a day wow like one to two million dollars not and surprised it's still like that high like it's still in that same range right like they're just they're just killing it like people are still playing it i know everyone's like oh nobody plays that anymore that was like you know i played it for three weeks and i'm done but there's still a number of dedicated fans who just keep going right yeah. and it's enough to like make that game
0: and i know, you know them i know some of them at least you know
1: yeah yeah, yeah right like we work with some like it's funny because we'll mention on our team and everyone's like oh i'm level 49 like what I didn't even mm-hmm. know you could be level 49 because they just up the levels like you can go to 50 now yeah and uh, one of the producers on our team is that high <laughs> but we were really excited because basically niantic had a challenge this winter um, in ar and, and and so i love ar right Because you know, i came as a creature Td who was putting monsters in visual effects in the real world like and we would comp them you know you comp them in nuke into the real world and make them look real and so that to me was always a passion and then when AR came out it was like wait we can have creatures and unreal things in the world around us like in real time like you could pull up your phone and they're really there like it just opened up the possibilities and so even so even before Pokemon go this is funny it was like i was developing this concept with AR because i knew about AR i was like I'd want to make this adventure game in AR that is basically like, okay, Legend of Zelda meets Pokemon Go, right? What -hmm. what, what would that look like? You know, what would something like that, an RPG adventure, like, how would I go traverse the world on this adventure? And how would it be so compelling that I would climb to a mountaintop to (sighs) defeat the dragon so that I could take home the flaming sword? You know, like, those are the kinds of things where, I just, I, I love that stuff. And so we actually uh, entered the, um, which was basically almost like a hackathon, uh, which Niantic held over Christmas. It was the Lightship winter challenge. And we were using the Lightship platform to develop games. And we developed this cool game called Duel of Wizards. <laughs> and it's, it, you, you can see the video, we'll have to, we'll have to share it. Um, was it
0: the one in the backyard? It's the one in the backyard. Yeah, yeah yes. I saw that video. Not. Okay, great. Oh yeah. Okay,
1: so basically, for everyone at home who's listening, yeah, <laughs> you're shooting fireballs. You know, through your phone, you, you're shooting. It's multiplayer. You can bounce those fireballs off the ground and off, off which is really cool and then you hit others and then the lightship has recognition that you know so it does all the mapping so you can bounce it off of things but then also has recognition so like i can i'm a wizard who has the power to pull elements from the earth around them from the world around them and so if you point your phone and you press a certain button you grab a tree you point a tree at a tree and and the vision recognizes that it's a tree and so it gives you like the tree ball like the nature ball and you have have like this tree thing and it shoots out a different kind of fireball and the same thing with rock and then you shoot the rock and that stone shatters and deals extra damage and then the same thing with sky you grab a cloud you shoot you point it up to the sky and you grab clouds out of the sky and then you could shoot the clouds and they're like extra fast and do you know do a different kind of damage so so the game was super fun we did this over course of a shoot a few short weeks like our does like they just nailed it right and mm-hmm. it was way fun and then we we did this funny video called duel of wizards and uh we submitted that to niantic for the challenge and and we won right good so, that's great so, yeah woo-hoo. yeah it was awesome right like so we we have all of these, you know. We, we, there were a lot of entrants, and we won like best in sharing, which is the sharing is the uh, multiplayer facets of of Lightship, and so we were working with Lightship in, in Niantic, and now um, we've had lots of meetings with them as they're discussing, you know, with us like, okay, well, what do you, what do you like about? this uh, Lightship SDK. What do you, you know, so we're actually been invited to, um, I I recorded a little video and they presented it to Niantic in their all hands meeting. And that was super exciting about what we thought about Lightship and Duel of Wizards and talking about that. And so, you know, the whole company got to see us talk about what we made and then we're actually invited out in LA to go live in this place called AR house. And Mm. AR house is this mansion in Beverly Hills where they are just dedicated to like AR creators, and so you in like it's a secret location, and you're only invited, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I love it, special special invite only, and so yeah. we're going to send our devs, and they're going to be there working with Niantic engineers on like the next big thing in developing things. So what I'm saying is that you know really exciting things on the horizon as far as like this augmented reality metaverse, right? That's out there. Um, and what's that going to look like and what can we make out of it? Cool.
0: (laughs) sounds like your job as a studio owner is a lot of business negotiations, meetings, and the creativity comes from developing the overall company rather than being in the pipeline of the process, uh, which is a different sort of creativity. How do you feel about that?
1: You know, you're right. Um, it's, it's funny because like somebody asked me yesterday, they're like, do you miss being on the box? And I was like, yeah, I do. Like Mm -hmm. I was... I was on the box until about like six months ago. You know, I was actually like rigging stuff and like uh-huh. fixing things and, mm-hmm. and like, like, you know, working on some previous stuff. By the nature of all the things going on, we had to hire people up because I had more things to do, which, you know, like, okay, you got this accounting stuff to do or you've got these negotiations to do or you've got to talk to people. I mean, like right now, right? Like I, you know, spending time on this podcast, for example. Yeah. A lot of that. Right. And so, uh, you know, there was last week when we uh, were at the the Silicon Slopes uh, Hall of Fame Awards, right? Mm-hmm. Like being in places like that and, you know, having those relationships. So I'm spending a lot of time meeting with clients um, and talking with them. And it's interesting, Scott, because it is different than when you're on the box, but it's a different kind of creativity because like I'll sit down with a client and we'll try to get, you know, in half an hour, I will pitch them some creative idea because they're like, they come to us and they say, "Well, we what can you do? We don't know exactly what to do. Yeah, we, we're not sure." And I said, "Oh, well, we could do this and this." And I'm just like making up pitches on the fly. Yeah, how we could do this stuff in AR, we mm-hmm. could do it in a, you know in VR, or we could make some kind of a film component, and it's super fun, right? And so, mm-hmm. and then we'll have things like, "Okay, we're going to AR house. Well, what are we going to make there?" And so I sat down with our dev and I said, "Okay, well, here's the pitch. This is what we want to make and what we want to push toward." What I try to do is I I always have to have like one or two creative projects that yeah. maybe are like secretly happening in the background, you uh-huh, know, yeah, yeah. like that I'm working on and I'm working on with one or two people. And then like, you really have to bring in like good soups and good creatives mm-hmm. to help just run, you know, all the other projects. Right. And like, make sure they're happening. So we have like uh Ryan bird, for example, he works with us and he's one of our soups. He's, he's awesome. He's part of our leadership team and he, yeah, he is awesome. He just, you, you know, Ryan, right. You, cause you worked with him on Waterman, right? Yeah. So, yeah. He just takes things and he runs with it. Right. And and you try to like be as little involved in most things as possible. Right. Because you just want to let people own it and be creative. And, you know, I might might have like one or two comments here or there or something that I have to get involved with as as far as relating to the client. But uh, you just want to bring together a team of like super creative people. Let them go with it.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. That actually segues right into my next um, question, too, because I wanted to talk about your leadership philosophy. I've been reading the book that's called The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, and it has been really eye-opening and really inspiring, too, to to see how I can push the direction of Space Station, well, at least the animation series that I'm developing now. What is your leadership philosophy?
1: So my leadership philosophy is kind of akin to hire really good people, and mm-hmm. then let them do their creative thing that they do best. Okay. And if you do that and bring them together, they will all rub off on each other and help each other. And it will become like the sum will become greater than the parts, right? Yeah. When I started the studio, I said, okay, there's two things. I've got to remember that there's has to be time and resources dedicated to business development mm-hmm. and all these other things, right? Like yeah. I, I can't just be on the box all the time or else there won't be a company. Yeah, And the yeah. second thing is I want to hire really good talent. Like I, I don't want to hire, you know, just everybody is like fresh out of school <laughs> because they might not cost as much. Right. Like that which just never going to work. Right. Like I was only going to do it if I could hire like some of my buddies from, you know, industrial light and magic or you know wet or digital domain. Like I, I needed to have people of really high caliber. Yeah. People that I work with at Deep Root, right? That I knew that could handle like top level projects and that I wouldn't have to be involved in, in a lot of those ways. Like we hire people and we say, we just delegate like here, this is it. You run with it, you figure it out, you make it as creative and cool as you want. Like how do you want this to go? Right. And so that's my philosophy because basically the better people you have, you hire, and the more creative you let them be, the easier your life will be.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, try to control every bit of everything, like is you'll go crazy. And I noticed that when someone is not a fit for something, like they like will give them a task and they won't quite have the skill set that matches that task. You know, it's like if you try to put a modeler into animation and they just they're not gelling, right?
0: Yeah. There's a, there's a learning curve there.
1: <laughs> there's, there's a learning curve there. Yeah. There's a learning curve there, right? And we want to let everybody have a chance to try out different things in the studio. We think yeah. that's really yeah. important. Uh, But we also want to set people up so that they succeed and not fail. And that's really important because you want to let them do the thing that they're really best at and then have them come back to you and say, "Okay, well, I I also want to do this thing. Right. Like I do want to be an animator someday. Right. And we say, "Okay, well, then let's have you try that out in a certain area where it's safe, Mm -hmm. not where you have this looming deadline where it has to be done next week
0: yeah we've been doing very very similar things we have we have one in particular that he's a really good generalist and he he want to animate and so the first time we gave him a shot that crept up until the end and that was stressful and very difficult for him so we're like we'll give you a shot that's due way down the road that you can just start working on now you know and and then once we get to that point hopefully you'll be you'll be ready to to finish it um we have another that uh is just so enthusiastic. He wants to be part of everything going on in the studio, and with that one, we're like, we, you really need to focus. You've got to build your trunk before you branch out. You know, you've yeah. really got to be a solid, have a solid skill set in one area, and then you'll you'll know better how to and learn the next area and whatnot."
1: So, well, and the supervisors are really good at. Uh, in future house, the supervisors are really good at fostering those talents and like helping mm-hmm. bring those out. And so they're, I think, very honed in on identifying like what people's skill sets are. Because, you know, when you're when you're fresh and new, like let's say you, you've you graduated from Annum school or you're fresh out of college mm-hmm. and you're so excited and you might not know what you want to do yet, right? Yeah. Like you be still playing through the different areas in the different playgrounds and developing what your skills are. But you're right. Somebody can, it's helpful when somebody picks you out and says, okay, here's your trunk. Let's start there. And we got to get you really good at at least one thing first to start out with. Mm -hmm. Is it character rigging? Is it modeling? Is it textures? Is it concept? Like, let's get you really good at that thing. And then you'll have something to contribute, right? Because basically the studio, for a studio to work, everybody has to have something really solid they can contribute. Yeah you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's heartbreaking sometimes when you sit down with somebody and you say, Hey, look, you, you aren't contributing. Yeah. Your, your stuff is, is not up to speed or it's not done on time. And then we try to work with them and say, Hey, let's have you tweak this or how can we help you or what's going on. But with the, with the rate of production and the demands that clients bring upon you, sometimes there's just not enough time and you, and sometimes you have to let those people go, right? Yeah. And that's a really sad thing, but that that really only happens usually when someone is like sitting on something, like you give them a model, like we've had this happen before, we give somebody a model and then two weeks later we check in, you know, we're checking in every day. How's it going? Oh, it's doing great. It's doing great, but we haven't yeah. seen anything yet. And we're just like yeah. trusting that they're running with it and two weeks later it's due and we're like, hey, where is it? And they're like, oh, here you go. And you put it in and it's like totally not optimized or it's broken or it looks bad or just <laughs> all those things. And you're like, You just we just lost two weeks. And now we have to go tell the client that this isn't done. Mm -hmm. Right. And and then it's egg on your face. And so for all you animators and modelers or artists out there who are listening, think about how you can like really hone your skills so that you can contribute quality on time work. Yeah. That's going to help your career flourish. And that's what's going to help. You know, I I mean, it's, it goes like this, like we just had a um, staffing meeting and one of our artists, he was just, he's just killing it. Right. And he's, Mm -hmm doing so well. He's a concept artist and a modeler mm-hmm. and staff was like, the soups were basically fighting over him. They're like, no, I want him on my project. No, I want him on my project. Yeah. 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 You, you want to be that guy, right? You want to be that person that the supervisors like really want you on their project because they know that you can deliver quality and you can do it fast.
0: Another note on that is that uh, when you're working alone or you're like your student, it's, a, it's, I mean, there's a, a certain amount of momentum there. But when you're in a studio, you have the ability because there's so many talented people around you to really like double, triple, quadruple that momentum just by getting all of their eyes on your stuff and really picking their brains about their process and figuring out their tool and trick about how they get that thing done just a little bit faster. That's a really an opportunity too. So once you're in that studio, really like... Don't think I've made it, you know, especially not in this industry. Like this industry has a high turnover rate and several different jobs. And it's really hard to find a staff position. The people who find a staff position are those who every single opportunity that seemed maybe like a little opportunity, they turn it into a huge opportunity. That's that's the approach you should use for sure. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: because you don't be afraid to ask for help, like because we found that, um, especially in the (laughs) virtual world, sometimes new artists, they'll be like struggling with something Mm -hmm. And they're afraid to ask, right? Because they're just started. And I remember being that way. I remember being afraid to ask. And there's a little bit of like understanding of like when you can ask, who you should ask, when you should figure it out yourself. And and you'll you'll get a cadence for that. But you know, your supervisor or your lead is someone that is like a go-to um that hopefully you can ask and they'll help you right they'll help they'll give you tips and tricks they'll they'll help you along the way it's just they only have so much time every day to do that right yeah so if you're asking them
0: it. repeatedly throughout the day it's probably not wise but um if you're asking people around you who are less busy and you know maybe less you're less reliant on them but they're around you you can ask those people first for the, like the general feedback and then when you're ready to show the supervisor show them. But again, like you don't want to wait two weeks.
1: <laughs> you don't want to wait two weeks. You no, want to cause... have
0: certain checkpoints. So you're like, okay, I've worked on this for one day, two days, time to show them, get the feedback. Okay. Now we need to adjust and kind of switch, switch, you know, our method or whatever and and move toward what the, the main vision is of it or not. But
1: yeah, absolutely. And that's why you have the dailies, right? It's like, cause you've got to review every day and you want to show progress from mm-hmm. day to day. There's nothing more frustrating for a studio head or a lead when you showing up to dailies either with nothing to show or it's looks the same day after day after day and that's happened before and then it, as i as a lead I have to sit down and I have, to, I have to give a ton of notes and then i feel like those notes aren't being executed on day after day after day and i'm like repeating myself mm-hmm. then that's when you know that someone isn't going to work right yeah. because if, you, if you've taken an hour out of your day to give them all the notes and help them walk through it And then they look through it and they're not getting those improvements fast enough. Yeah. or There's not significant change. If it looks the same, you know, three days in a row, you know, there's a problem. And in fact, two days in a row, like usually like you should show any sort of small progress. I think this also is is wise, like when we're doing, when we're talking about IP development too. If you're working on your thing, you know, Scott, I know you're working on all your your pitches. Mm -hmm. You should have somebody... And it doesn't have to be, you know, public to the world, but you should have somebody that you can show things to incrementally. Because yep. you to get a reaction, you want to say, okay, is this joke landing? Is this character design funny? Is this storyboard making sense? Is this theme intriguing? And you might, the first person you go to might like, they might not appreciate that or may, they might not care or they might not be interested, but the next person might like, you want to find the people that understand your kind of humor and that's the base you build from. And then you see, if you can springboard eventually to um, people you don't know, right. And if you get someone who you don't know to appreciate what you're making, then you know that you've got something on your hands. That's that has, that can resonate with people.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's good advice. So our last, our last question that we always ask is the get wiser moment. It is uh, a deep question. (laughs) So take your time. We have five minutes to to answer or more if you need to go more. Um, The question is, if my goal is to get the deepest. No, let me start again. If my goal is to get the highest clarity of truth into a story, what approach would you recommend?
1: The highest clarity of truth into a story. Mm -hmm. What I would recommend is that you have to understand truth yourself first Mm -hmm. and the way that i go about doing that is by writing and i'm writing not necessarily for anybody else but i'm writing for myself in a journal and i'm writing every day just a little bit to, to discover truth yeah those things are there's almost like this imaginary audience uh that i have is like okay someday you know after i'm i'm dead and gone there's a group of people who go, for some reason, they think I'm cool and they want to discover what I had to say about something. Mm-hmm. And they go back to my archives and they're digging through it, right? Like, what is the, what are those things that you're telling those people about truth and about life and about the eternities and about everything in the world around us? Mm-hmm. And you have to understand that yourself. And so for me, writing is the way to discover that. Yeah, and whenever I want to, learn, you and
0: I are very similar in that way.
1: <laughs> we're very similar, right? Yeah. Like we, we've got to we've got to find that truth. And so I, I think writing is such an amazing process, and it's it was an amazing invention for the human race. Oh fact, yeah, it was hieroglyphs or cave drawings on a wall because what it did is it allowed people to achieve a clarity of thought. Mm-hmm. Because you write something down and then you look at it and you say, "Well, oh, that's not right," and you use the word "but," and then you clarify that, and then you clarify that. And you keep going until you've honed in on a thought that makes sense. And that process is, has been huge, I think, for, you know, the great writers throughout history. Uh, You know, I I think this is what helped launch the Renaissance, right? This is what, this is what launched, helped coalesce civilization. Like you look at, I mean, look at like the Bible, for example, right? The Bible was like the first point. It was one of the great points. I mean, there's so many points, right? Back to Sumeria. things where people started writing things down, but it was a book of culture coalesced and um, preserved that people would go back to and it helped transfer thought about civilization and about how people live and how people should live or shouldn't live. Mm-hmm. And those kinds of things, you know, whatever literature it is and all the great works of Shakespeare and all the great works of, that we're um, experiencing now, we look at those and we see different people's perspective and we find things that will resonate with us and that won't resonate with us. Yeah. And so uh, for me, I think to find that that great clarity of truth is for us to put something to, something down on paper. Now, I if I'm going to launch a story, I might have a story where I'm like, okay, this is a really cool setting and here's some cool characters. Mm-hmm. But for me, I can never get excited about a story until I figure out what the thematic truth is behind it that I care about and that mm-hmm. I'm interested writing about. And then that story is interesting to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Same here. And the Bible is actually the first, the perfect thing to bring up. I listened to somebody who, I don't even know if they really believe in like the spiritual components behind the Bible, but they were talking about the Bible as like this bedrock. It was the first book really published um, in, in the way that we know publishing today. And all the books are really kind of built on that. You can't really throw that thing out as something that you completely disregard because even like, no matter what your belief is, if it's Hinduism, if it's atheism, is it if it's, you know, whatever your belief is, it's really built on that. If it's in writing, and so yeah, you you really need to to kind of reference that,
1: yeah, a little I mean, bit. Just yeah, just you have pages, like yeah, bound in a book that you can hand off to somebody, and then they can interpret what was said, and then you can talk about it afterward. Like that concept of a book is incredible, and right, yeah. Like that, it, Why you know that it being one of the first is why it's been preserved for so long. Yeah, and it's helped those kinds of things like they help shape the human race.
0: Yes, they do, and it's not just the the pages and the binding and the words on it, right? It's the messages inside of it. It's this idea that uh, Cain killed his brother Abel, and what does that mean? You know, what does that mean for us? And there there are different interesting things that you know again whether you believe the opposite or not of what the Bible teaches you're still your belief is kind of hinging on that. So to people have a, an overall understanding of truth, you know, that's really kind of a central point you go to is that and you can go to other things. But I, I often like to say that the truth is found where all of the experiences of the human race overlap. And yeah. that's or we, it's called the collective unconscious or whatnot. And yeah, it began with the Bible. It's, it's just a, a fascinating thing. And
1: yeah. Well, think about think about all the other civilizations that existed at the time, the yeah. same time as the, as the Israelites and everything that was going on. Many of them are lost to memory, yeah, because yeah. they didn't have the written form. And
0: oh, and um, we do have the tale of Gilgamesh. Written. I have to have to backtrack a little bit. The tale of Gilgamesh is written on a stone. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, that's that's that does date back past the Bible, but again. Yep honor respect that the tale of gilgamesh the
1: only reason we know about the sumerians <laughs> yeah. is because of you know that written those written things that were preserved in the tale of gilgamesh by the way i love that right i love Inkadu yeah. and the story of the flood and you know and um uh i think his name is Utnapushtim the far away where Gilgamesh travels across the sea to meet him, to hear about the origins of, of life and death. And he wants to know how to bring Enkidu back to life, mm-hmm. right? And it's just like, this stuff is so cool and it resonates with you. And it was because it was written down, right? And because uh, because it was preserved in those forms that it's it launched this common ground for us to all have this discussion about, okay, what is humanity and how do we build civilization? Because remember, it was pretty wild back then, right? Mm-hmm. Like there was you know, you didn't have a city and there weren't rules set up and there weren't, there wasn't safety, you know, there wasn't, um, exchange of goods. Like you just had so many uncertainties and the written form helped coalesce that into something that people could agree upon or disagree with. Mm -hmm. Um, but then that built (laughs) civilization, right? Exactly. That's why we're storytellers. That's why we're storytellers.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, awesome great, great discussion. Thank you so much for being on the show. If people want to follow you, where's the best place to look? I think I put your Instagram down in the, in the show notes.
1: And, yeah. come uh, Check me out. Um, Adam Glenn as well on Instagram. Uh, you can follow future house studios on Instagram or LinkedIn. Yep. Um, and the future house
0: website oh, is also down in the show notes.
1: So oh, yes. And yeah. definitely if you're an animator or a modeler or a producer or CG supervisor or an Unreal tech artist, hit us up. Uh, we need to hire all of those right now. We're just we're, we're in our busy season. So so um, come, you know, uh, come find us on on LinkedIn or send us an email and uh, we'll have recruiting get in touch with you. Sounds great. And until next time, I hope we all get a little wiser.
0: Thank you for watching the Directing Animation Livecast hosted by Scott Weiser. Audio version edited by Kira Horowitz. Copyright Scott Weiser LLC 2022.